Our text for today comes from Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. That same day Jesus went out in out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds, such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in par- <coughs> excuse me, in parables saying, "A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched." And they withered because he had no root. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still others fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And skipping down to verse 18. Listen, then, to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they will quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you are an elementary student, follow me upstairs. All right. So uh, I don't know if any of you have heard of this individual, but I really enjoy the writer, uh, a woman named Anne Lamont. She, uh, I've only actually read one of her books, so it's hard to say that I enjoy someone's writing if I've only read one of her books. Um, But she likes to also talk a lot about life uh, and its intricacies, and I like to listen to her talk. Um, I think she's an important writer uh, and and just kind of voice because she is one of those kind of classic liberal writer type people that I'm sure you're all familiar with. If you spent any time in Iowa City, you know exactly what I'm talking about because of the Iowa work, Iowa Writers Workshop there. Uh, but she is a little bit different because she has a very live, lively and deeply held faith in Jesus, and her faith affects her view of the world. It's it colors uh, the way that she views almost everything, and so she talks about life. Uh, through the lens of her kind of like writerly nature, but also with this deep sense of the love and goodness of God. And so I'd encourage you to pick up one of her books. They're great. But she talks a lot about life and what it is to live life just as a normal, broken human being like all of us. And and as I was preparing for this message, I remembered a quote, or I ran across a quote of hers uh, that I thought was fitting for the day. Here's what she says. She says, your problem is how you are going to spend this one odd and precious life you have been issued. Whether you are going to spend it trying to look good and creating the illusion that you have power over people and circumstances, or whether you are going to taste it, enjoy it, and find out the truth about who you are. You see, I like that quote uh, because I think it pretty much sums up the struggle that most of us have in this world in just one short sentence. I think the world we live in tells us all the time that the primary endeavor we need to be active in pursuing is the, ga- is the gaining of power and control, right? Is the acquisition of success, is the accre- creating of the illusion that we are in fact 
uh, in control of this whole thing called life. I think we live in a world that tells us all the time that this is what we ought to be doing. Uh, And most of us on this journey called life at least spend a portion of our lives believing that very lie, right? And so we spend our time, we spend our energy, we spend our effort kind of feeding into that illusion, seeking success as though it's going to be something that makes us happy. And we, uh, we search it out, we seek for it. Uh, but almost every time that we do that, at least most of us, in some way, shape, or form, we find out that that pursuit is empty. It doesn't, it doesn't return back to us what we put into it, in fact. Uh, and so we then begin to search for another thing or another way. This happens all of the time with people, especially people who are right around my age, right? They get, they, you get to about 35, 37, 42, somewhere in there. And you begin to realize that the, the whole bill of goods that you had been sold throughout your life, that if you just get good grades and you just go to the right school and you just get the job you want and you just work hard enough and you just acquire all of the trappings of life, if you just get financially secure enough, that then everything's just going to kind of work out. But it doesn't, does it? And it sets you on a path of seeking. This is why they call it a midlife crisis, right? That's the whole hair plugs, Corvette, like golf thing, right? But, but here's the thing. Jesus comes on the scene in the story of Scripture, and from the very beginning, from the jump, he is telling people that the journey of trying to look good or obtain power or gain control over our circumstances or over other people is all wrong. Jesus says this from the very beginning. Instead, he says that in order to find your life, the thing you have to do is lose it. He prioritizes servant-heartedness over a desire for status or control. And yet for those who follow him, even though he proclaims this kind of upside-down, different way around way of being a person in the world, for those who follow him and his way of life, he promises a kind of abundant life nonetheless even though it looks different than we think it does in, a, in, a, in a, our predominant culture of the world. Now, this naturally seems contradictory to us, doesn't it? Because achievement makes more sense in our system of belief than surrender does. But in all of Jesus' teachings about the way of life and uh, about his way of life and what the and what the kingdom of God looks like when it takes up residence in our lives, there is always this kind of paradox happening. Up is down, left is right. The gold dress is actually a blue dress, if you remember that uh, internet meme from a few years back. But what is interesting to me, at least in all of his teachings, is that he seems to say that the life of God that is planted in our heart, when we allow it to flourish... Something in us starts to grow over time. Jesus talks consistently about how the kingdom of God and the ru- or the rule and the reign of God that is present in his ministry is at the moment a kind of small thing. He, he uses all kinds of analogies and metaphors. Very often he uses agricultural metaphors. He talks about seed like he does in our teaching text for today to get at this idea. He uses these types of growing metaphors to talk about Uh, how our lives should look when we submit them to Jesus, when we follow him. You see, Jesus wants to live 
wants us to live that odd, wild, precious life that Lamont is talking about. Only he wants that life to grow up in us, to develop in us over time. But the scriptures are quite clear that this type of spiritual growth that we often call it is difficult. It's hard. There are all kinds of forces and influences, powers in the world that work against the kind of natural, healthy growth for those who have set out to follow Jesus and to follow his way of life. To live, a, to live as a, quote, as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, as a kingdom people in the world. And yet, despite its difficulty, it is possible. I think it is actually more than possible because I think it's actually what we were created to do. You see, excuse me. You see, in our teaching text for today, Jesus gives a parable about just this kind of idea, I think in what is often called the parable of the sower. Now, this particular parable is the first in a series of parables that Jesus gives in Matthew's gospel that are all about the kingdom. They're called uh, kingdom, the parables of the kingdom because when Jesus says them, he begins them with this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, in Matthew's gospel, he doesn't say the kingdom of God. He uses the language the kingdom of heaven, but we're talking about the same idea here. Basically, in these parables, Jesus is giving little word pictures of the kingdom, and each of them emphasizes some aspect of the kingdom of God, or what Matthew calls the kingdom of heaven. What it is like to live under the rule and reign of God. The par- uh, so first, so he gives parables like this. The parable of the yeast is all about the pervasiveness of the kingdom, how it works its way into all of these different corners of our lives and into the world. The parable of the pearl is about the great value of the kingdom of God. And in the parable of the sower that we read today, this is a parable about the reception of the kingdom or what it looks like when the kingdom of God or the good news about Jesus comes to reside with people and how it's received. So the parable, so in this parable of the sower, uh, Jesus speaks of this idea of the kingdom that shows up or resides with us or within us is not immediately noticeable or powerful. It begins small, right? It's just a seed that is sown into the earth. In fact, in the beginning, the seed that is sown isn't even visible at all, right? If a seed, you can scatter seed on top of the soil, but often the soil covers a seed and makes it invisible. And Jesus points out to us uh, that as long as this seed is unencumbered, as long as it's not eaten, by or choked, eaten by the birds or choked out by the weeds, the natural byproduct of this seed is that it will grow, that it will produce, that it will become fruitful. So our lives, when we give them over to Jesus, are these things that should naturally grow, that should naturally develop. Now, this process of what Jesus describes here as growth is called a lot of different things in the Bible. And in the church, we call it a lot of different things as well. Sometimes we call this spiritual growth. Sometimes in the scriptures, this is called becoming like Christ or um, putting on Jesus. Uh, But there is a word that I like to use when we talk about what it means to, to grow in our faith. And that word is transformation. Transformation. 
The Apostle Paul uses this word in Romans 12 when he says you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Greek word there is metamorpho, right, where we get our word metamorphosis. It, it uh, communicates a substantive change, something, uh, something fundamental to our being, and that it's a uh, kind of ongoing thing that should be occurring in the life of those who follow Jesus, that it, it should be occurring in the life of those individuals who have had the kingdom of God take up residence in our hearts. And this communicates the idea, to me at least, that kingdom people are a transforming people. Kingdom people are a transforming people. We are a people that change. We are a people that metamorphosize, right, into a different or uh, maybe different's the wrong word, but a, a more apt version of ourselves. So just for this morning, for the sake of this message, I want to lay down a definition of what I mean by transformation. So transformation is our loving response to the grace of God manifest, manifest to us in Jesus Christ. God begins the work by planting the word in our hearts uh, through Jesus Christ, he sustain, and he sustains that work through his grace. In the parable of the sower, the seed is first, when the seed is first planted, it is small, but it grows through a kind of process. Now, growth, like I said earlier, is the natural and appropriate activity for a seed, isn't it? If a seed doesn't grow, well, then it's a defective seed. But if a seed is good, it, is, it will grow. Not growing is the abnormal thing, Right? But when the kingdom is planted in our hearts, or the hearts of many Christians at salvation, we begin a kind of process of transformation that continues throughout the whole of our lives. When we follow Jesus, we should be different a year from now than we are right now, because the kingdom should kind of take up more space inside of us. We should be transformed in that way. Now, this does not mean that we need to compare ourselves to one another, because I actually don't think spiritual transformation is this type of thing where we can necessarily compare ourselves to one another because there's not a set standard of what growth looks like and growth looks different for different people but in fact each of us should be on our kind of own special and unique journey of transformation as we allow the work of god the love of god the grace of god not to make us a carbon copy of other people but rather to make us a full, more full more redeemed version of ourselves. And, and this is what we see in the story of the sower. Uh, one commentator on the, this parable of the sower, his name's Robert Capone, says it this way. He says, For a plant, the failure to bear fruit is not a punishment visited on it by the seed, but an unhappily, unhappily, unhappy, wow, uh, declination of the plant's part, on the plant's part, from what the seed had in mind for it. It is, a, it is a missing of its own fullness, its own maturity, even in some deep sense of its own life. So too with us. If we make uh, deficient responses to the word, we do not simply get ourselves in Dutch. Rather, we fail to become ourselves at all. This points us to the idea that growing and developing, transforming, is not this thing that takes uh, you away from yourself, from your true self, 
It is rather a process of kingdom transformation where you change to become more fully the person that God created you to be in the first place, unmarred, unbroken. I think we're familiar with this idea inherently, too, because one of the things you will hear people say when they sin in some significant way, when they mess up, when they offend somebody, when they speak an unkind word, whether they say it out loud or they say it to themselves, very often after we've transgressed in some way, what do we say? I'm not that person, right? I'm not the person who did that. That's not me. That's not the core of my being. I did a bad thing, but that is not who I am, right? We tell ourselves this. Now, I don't 100% agree with that, like you did the thing, right? So it is kind of who you are. But I think the sentiment there resides in this deep knowledge or intuition that we all have, that we are created to be a certain type of person, our own unique version of a flourishing self that God created us to be. And, and sin kind of mars that picture. It breaks it in some sense. And when we give in to sin and we allow that uh, reality to find its way into ourselves, we are in some very real sense not living into the picture of ourselves that God would have us to live into. You see, God wants all of us to be transformed, and he wants us to be transformed in our own specific and unique way. The you that God wants to bring about out of the raw materials of you is unique and special, has some special role to play in the kingdom of God, has some, has some thing to do of kingdom work that you can put your hands to that is of real and true value. You see, one thing that I've discovered in life is that, is that brokenness is kind of uniform, right? And honestly, kind of boring. To use this language, I'll just use it, but, but holiness or sanctification, if you will, is a kind of beautiful thing. No two people that, I believe, that, that I've met who, have, who are further down this line of sanctification, who have become more, a more true version of themselves, who have kind of allowed the love and the grace of God to transform them on the inside, are boring people. None of those people are boring people. They're all unique and special and interesting. They might not be flashy, and they definitely don't try to call attention to themselves, but they are in so many ways, beautiful, interesting, unique. But yet, you know, the, uh, the opposite of that is just kind of stale. It's kind of boring. But here's the thing. This work of transformation that occurs in our lives is natural, right? The, the parable of the sower shows us that the seed of the word is scattered, right, on the ground, and it grows, but here's the thing. It grows of its own accord, doesn't it? You see, transformation, while it is something that we can participate in, with and in, is in and of itself a work of the Spirit in our lives. This is what Paul says in Philippians 2, chapter, or verses 12 through 13. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, which has this component of effort, right, attached to it. But then he says this in verse 13. For it is God who works in you and will, uh, to will and to, and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Right? 
So work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but know this. It is God who works this thing in your heart. So in this process of transformation, it is God through his Holy Spirit that works this out in us, but we participate. We participate. Transformation is not possible apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's not. We can do all the stuff, right? But apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can't transform in this way. And yet, we are called to do this work. Ruth Haley Barton is a, is a teacher and a professor, and uh, she talks about the paradox that we find in this idea of spiritual transformation here. She says this, spiritual transformation is some, something of a paradox and that it is quite natural for Christ followers to grow and to change just, that it is, just as it is natural for human beings to grow from infancy to childhood to adolescence to adulthood. The seed of the Christ life, everything we need for life and godliness, is planted within us at salvation. And if the conditions are right, the seed will grow and flourish. However, the process of transformation is also supernatural. And that is something that only God can accomplish in our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit. Transformation is not about following rules. It's not about conformity to some external standard of greatness. It is the work of the, the Spirit wants to do in each of our lives to bring out of us the truest and most ver beautiful version of you that God created you to be. But in the parable of the sower, it seems that difficulties arise, doesn't it? From time to time, that want to kind of choke the life out of that plant. You see, I don't think we make ourselves transform. But I do think that we can actively cultivate the conditions within which God can transform us. All right? Our transformation requires good soil and healthy growing conditions, Jesus tells us in this parable. You know, Ashley, during the, my wife, Ashley, during the pandemic has been planting a lot of plants because what else do you do, right, when you're locked down for a year? You plant things. And one thing I've watched her figure out over time is like what plant requires the right type of soil to grow in the proper way. Is that pot too small for that plant? Is that pot too big for that plant? Should we put rocks? Should we put river rocks around that plant? Should we water this one every other week? Or should we water this one every three times or three times a week? Uh, it, these, in order for these plants to flourish, they require the right conditions. They require the right conditions. And I believe that we work our, our salvation with, with in fear and trembling, not by following rules in order to create an end result, but rather by cultivating a life where we create the appropriate conditions for the Spirit of God to allow us to flourish and transform. And so what traditionally Christians have said about this is that we cultivate spiritual disciplines not to make God do things, not to coerce him, and not to actually change ourselves, but rather to create the proper conditions where we can flourish and where we can grow and where we can become all that God would have us to be. Spiritual disciplines like prayer, like practicing simplicity. Notice that one of the things that Jesus says explicitly will choke out the plant is wealth, right? And so we practice simplicity as a spiritual discipline to not allow, allow wealth to choke out uh, the work of the kingdom in our lives. We give for the same reason. We live in community 
right? We serve in the church and we serve the poor. We dedicate times to quiet and to the study of Scripture. These are not religious practices that cause us to grow. They are simply disciplines that help us to create the proper conditions so that the Holy Spirit can have his work in our lives. This is what it means to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us, not to make something happen. And the seed will naturally grow in our lives if we create the conditions. But we do have to participate with what the Spirit wants to do in our lives. We do have to grow in an ever-increasing awareness of what it is in us that the, the Spirit of God actually wants to transform. You see, so many of us walk through our lives unaware of the ways in which we are broken. Now, there's an, ev- there's an element of that that's inevitable. None of us fully know or understand who we actually are in this world, right? But yet, but yet, we are called to a level of self-knowledge and awareness of our own brokenness that we can let the light of Christ into those spaces that we might be transformed. And so often, the hardest work of spiritual transformation, the hardest work of following Jesus is being humble enough and open enough to allow life's circumstances and maybe some close friends to point out to us those areas in which we need to grow. We don't want to do this because it hurts, right? But it's only natural and good. And as we get used to the uncomfortable nature of this process of of actually weeding our lives, right? Uh, we can step into a more fruitful position, a more fruitful posture where the, God, via the Holy Spirit, will create transformation in our inner being. Just for a short, uh, just as, a, as an aside, this is why we fast. Not because it coerces God into some type of behavior, but because it, it helps us to become aware of those things which we cling to and clear them out of our lives. Fasting is not magic, it is not coercive, but rather it is, a, it is a spiritual discipline by which we become aware of and cultivate the soil of our lives so that God can have his way in and through us. So, that's the second thing. Transformation is the work of the Spirit. But the third thing this morning is that transformation is for the sake of others. Transformation is for the sake of others. Notice in the parable, the sower... Uh, of the sower, of the seed, uh, the seed grows with an end goal in mind. There's an end goal in mind. And the end goal in mind for this seed is that it would produce a crop, right? It is not, the purpose of this seed is to not just grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and grow, right? It's not supposed to metastasize into some monstrosity and take up all the nutrients and the soil and the water and just sit and get fat on everything that is good. You know, that's what weeds do, right? Weeds are self-serving plants, aren't they? They get in and they selfishly choke out other plants, don't they? Uh, They will just grow and grow and grow, but the seed that is planted in the parable is not a weed, right? It grows with a purpose to produce a crop. And in the same way, we are not made simply to be transformed for our own sake or for ourselves. We are called to be transformed for the sake of others. This is the way John Ortberg puts it in last month's book of the month. So 
Uh, you can pick that if, up if you would like still. I think we have one or two copies. But here's what he says. He says, God made you to flourish, to receive life from the outside of yourself, creating vitality within yourself, and producing blessing beyond yourself. I think that's, a very, that's in one sentence a very apt picture of the parable of the sower. So we receive the love and grace of God from outside of ourselves, right? Which creates and transforms us on the inside and then allows us to be a blessing beyond ourselves. You simply can't give water out of an empty bucket, you know? But as we are transformed by the love and grace of God, we actually become more and more able more and more available to the people around us. We grow in service to our families and to our friends and to the world. This is why I think that Jesus says to grow in greatness in the kingdom of God is not to grow in notoriety, but is to grow in service, right? The greatest among you must be the least, he says, and the servant of all. When you really see the life and love of God transforming you, here's a really good kind of um, measuring rod to determine if the life of God is transforming us. You, you and I will find more and more joy and more and more peace and more and more purpose. We, that's what will, will happen as we are transformed. But you will feel at the same time that you need less and less praise and less and less approval from other people. Because like Jesus, your joy will not be bound to doing the will of other people and gaining notoriety and praise from them. But rather, like Jesus, your joy will be found in doing the will of your Father in heaven. And you will, and you will live for primar- out of a place of primarily seeking that approval, right? You will live to do his will and his purposes rather than doing the will and the purposes of the people around you. And that is real freedom, isn't it? To not be controlled by those around you, to not be controlled by the standards of society, to not make decisions about who to love, like we talked about last week, based on whatever, who, what everybody says about ev- all of these other types of people. You see, living only for the approval of the Father is this thing that allows a kind of freedom in us to live for the sake of other people. If you're not looking for other people's approval, it's much easier to love other people. It's startling, isn't it? Loving the world as a servant-hearted Jesus person is all about decreasing our own view of ourselves in our own eyes and decreasing this sense of we need to be viewed as good or powerful or effective in the eyes of others and rather catch the heart of God for the for the world and live as transformed people for the sake of the world because Jesus didn't live to appease the masses right the 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 crowds that cried hosanna on his way into Jerusalem, cry crucify him just a week later. And yet he goes to the cross doing what they wanted him to do functionally, but he goes to the cross knowing that it is in that place he's he's going to do a sacrificial work that will make for their freedom. You see, the cross of Christ shows us that that the, the height of 
transformation in our lives and the height of love for the world that God wants to bring about in our lives is the work of service and love and of laying down our lives for one another. Because if you live for the applause of the masses, if you live with what the scriptures call the fear of man, you will always be living out of a kind of insecure place. You'll always be living out of a place where you will kind of compromise your own opinion and your own thoughts based on uh, the opinion of other people. And you'll never be able to do truly for others what they can't do for themselves, which is the definition of service. And yet we are called to live out of this secure and transformed place in the Father's love. We are called to allow the fruits of the Spirit to kind of well up within us in such a way as they overflow out of our bucket, right, and into the lives of other people that are around us. But we cannot do this, we cannot do this, until we allow this Spirit to have its own work in our lives and transform us from the inside out. And what seems like a slow process very often, and it does, it can feel slow at times. I think all of us know what it is to deal with sin and to struggle with sin and to kind of always be kind of running the script of that same problem that we've had for, for two or five or 10 or 15 years, right? I think we know what that's like. But we also have to come to this sure foundation, this sure uh, this blessed assurance, right, that God wants to do a work in you and the seed of the kingdom that he's planted in your life wants to grow in you, it wants to change and transform you. And though you might be discouraged today by the fact that that thing that you can't get rid of, that, that thought process that you have that you can't get rid of, that thing you're addicted to that just you just seem to be going back to, won't leave your life. What I'm saying to you today is just that the person of Jesus has planted the seeds of the kingdom in your life. And those seeds want to grow. And what you need to do is surrender your life afresh and anew. The scriptures call it dying daily to yourself in such a way that we allow the fresh wind of the spirit to blow over our lives and create in us pure hearts, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, to create life in our hearts where before there was only death, that we might be the lights of the world and living as servant-hearted lovers for the sake of others. This is what it means to be a transformed people, and this is what it means to allow the kingdom of God to take up residence inside of us. It's powerful. And it changes us. And it changes those around us. So this morning, I just want to pray together. And maybe you'll join me in this. Would you stand with me? Could we just pray this morning that we would be a people where the kingdom of God would take up residence in our lives? And, and here's the other thing. So two parts. The first being, would we be a people where the kingdom of God would grow in us, right? That we'd be a transformed people. And the second thing, maybe even more important than that, that we would cooperate with the Spirit of God and that we would allow God and the circumstances of our lives to point out those areas in our own hearts where we've allowed impediments to the growth of the kingdom in our lives. Areas in our lives where we've allowed the weeds to grow up 
in and around our, our hearts a little bit. And they are beginning to choke out the work that the kingdom naturally wants to do in our lives. And what we need to do is turn back to Jesus, allow the Spirit to do a little bit of weeding in our lives, right? So that this natural process of growth and transformation that God wants to have occur in your life can begin. You see, we all carry sins and we all have stuff. But maybe today, as you've been listening to this, you're like, I know that thing. I know that one particular weed, right? And I know, it, uh, and I know we need, I need to do a little bit of a weeding process. So I want to pray for those two things. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we love you. And Jesus, we pray this morning, specifically first, for the weeds we have in our lives, God. We all have them, and we know that they're there, but I, I do think there's probably uh, some in the room today that have a special sense of one or two specific weeds that they've been dealing with. Maybe they've been dealing with them for a long time. Maybe they've never had the courage to confess those things to other people, and so because of their lack of confession, they've kind of held on, or maybe they just like that weed. That particular weed feels good sometimes, and we want to hold on to it, and we want to keep it in the garden as long as possible. God, I just pray by your Spirit that you would give us the boldness and the courage to, to weed uh, the garden of our lives a little bit this morning, to take, the, to take steps of obedience away from sin that so easily chokes out the life of God in our life, and you would help us, that you would bring uh, helpful friends alongside of us that would walk with us in the midst of that brokenness and so create a healthy condition in our lives for flourishing and for the kingdom of God to grow. And I pray this morning for my friends that they would develop a deep desire, a deep longing and desire to see this, the, the kingdom of God grow in their lives, love for God to grow in their lives, that they might produce fruit that blesses those people around them. Jesus, we're so thankful that you have planted the seed of the kingdom in our lives, and we pray this morning that you would help us cooperate in such a way as that in a year, two years, five years from now, we would be transformed people, a metamorphosized people, a people that look different today than we look in a year because we participated with the rhythms of the Spirit and we allowed our lives to flourish under the loving hand of our Father. And so, God, we pray that you would seal this in our hearts, that you would give us the confidence and the boldness to follow you in the midst of a broken world. And Holy Spirit, would you superintend this process over our lives as we go today? And we pray it today in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Uh, amen. Thanks for being at church. Uh, you can go today in the grace and in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.